and educate you. Hold on to your values as we step through the looking glass into a hippie pot party. While Johnny Welfare plays acid rock on a stolen guitar, his old lady has a better idea. That's right. She's got the munchies for a California cheeseburger. Marijuana can make kids very sick. You can keep the children in your life safe and healthy. By storing all marijuana products in a locked area that children cannot see or reach. Children want to be like their parents and the other adults in their lives. When you use marijuana in front of them, they may want to use it too. You can keep them safe and healthy by not using marijuana when kids are around. It may harm your baby. If you use marijuana in any form and at any time during your pregnancy or while you are breastfeeding, if your child eats or drinks marijuana products, call the Poison Center hotline as soon as possible. Symptoms can include your child having trouble walking or sitting up, starting to be sleepy, or having a hard time breathing. So basically, if your child is acting like a child, or most Americans after a flight of steps, please call the Poison Center hotline. This is a handout that I got at the local marijuana store. They said that they have to give these out with every purchase, which I find suspect. I mean, not that I find suspect that they, they're going to hand them out, but that that they're um, obliged to, legally obliged to. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing I can follow this up with. I just got that, um, I got this card from the marijuana store, and I thought it was pretty funny because but nothing. I just thought it was funny. And if you don't, my explaining why I found it funny is not going to change your opinion. It's not, frankly. And I'm not here to change your opinion. I'm here to give you the information necessary for you to break your opinion down to its constituent parts and change it. So, I'm also a liar. I have no idea what's going on in my studio right now. I probably should explain why I just finished one sentence, and then to you, through the magic of editing, I started a new one that had nothing to do with the previous one, and yet my tone made it seem like I was already talking. It's because I was already talking, but to myself. My headphones and microphone volumes and everything is, 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 is rather shit right now, and I don't like it, but... Played back that first little bit, and it sounded, I guess, good. It's hard to tell. So I don't know what's going on here. Maybe my, maybe my mixer might be. I can't be dying already. 
I don't know. I just don't know, guys. I just don't know. So, this is a show called The Alex Cast. I am Alex, and I never do this. Well, the show I do pretty often, like once a week for about the past five years. But I wanted to give a little preamble, because I keep meaning to say this, and I do every now and again. If this is your first episode of The Alex Cast, um, take a moment to realize that, one, not every episode is remotely like the one before, and then sometimes every episode is exactly like the one before. I always do show descriptions, and uh, look at them before you listen, because I have found, and, well, not I have found, I've been told, that this is one of those shows that give it three episodes and it will hook you. Um, in fact, I think that was said on an iTunes review, and or maybe not. I think it was an iTunes review. I don't really care. The point is, if you're listening to this, and it's not your cup of tea, maybe try to find one with a guest. And then if you're like, oh, I was here because I was told this is like a, a weirdo podcast where he talks about weirdo stuff. Well, go back in the archives and try to find one that's got like a weirdo topic. For instance, uh, I talked to a director of the Montauk Chronicles recently, and we talked about abduction of children by aliens and, and teleportation to other planets and mind-controlled monsters. You're like, hey, that's up my alley. Listen to that one. Just listen. Enjoy. I'm selling my own show on my show. But this is based on a conversation that someone uh, was having with me. That the first time they heard the show, they were not particularly impressed. Which, I assure you, I have full sympathy with that, that sentiment. I am not impressed. And it is, in fact, my show. Uh, what, I, uh, what I did not have sympathy with is me forgetting where that sentence was going. Basically, <clears throat> um, they were saying that they listened to a show, wasn't necessarily their cup of tea, and then saw uh, on the main Alexcast page a description of a different episode, went, oh, that sounds interesting, listen to that one, um, got the vibe for what the show is, and then went, oh, look at that. My heart, it is a flutter, and I am in love. And that, my friends, is the story of my first stalker, Kevin. Sup, Kev? My first stalker wasn't named Kevin. Maybe it was. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you. But the point is, I couldn't think of that thing that you get when you don't want people to go near you. Restraining order is the word. Alex, you, sir, are a babbling ass. If you're new to the show, this is something that probably doesn't change all that much between episodes. I'm, I'm generally a bit yammering. There's a lot of stuttering. I don't really show prep that well. But I usually get my kind of my eye in by about... I don't know, 10, 15 minutes in. And then usually there's like a nice section at the end that's like really good and I sound all smart and like I know what the hell I'm talking about. I When I use the word usually, I'm using it quite wrong. Uh, but there's there's at times. So anyway, I do have things to discuss with you, my lovely and loyal fans. One, Twitter is dead. It is a wasteland in which no one fucking talks to each other. And I thought it was just me. I thought, you know, my audience no longer wants to communicate with me, save for the few random uh, lovely people that email me or uh, tweet at me at the AlexCast. And I thought, well, maybe this has finally gotten to the point that no one is uh, actually following me anymore. These are, uh, I'm on mute. Uh, you know, these are kind of, these people got bored of my shit. Because I do often talk about emotions and um, other things that people don't want to hear about. It's not all plugs for the show and dick jokes. 
So I went on a little bit of a quest, a mission, if you will. Did a little research. And by that, I clicked on some people uh, that I'm friends with on Twitter. And I know used to talk to each other a lot. You know, let's say a random sampling, about 20 people. And we're seeing if they're interacting. Turns out they're not interacting much either. So it seems like Twitter is uh, going away a bit. Which is sad, because I don't know where everybody went other than Instagram, which I'm on. By the way, follow me on Instagram. It's the Alex cast, I think. Um, but I don't like that much, because I like words. And Instagram, pictures. It's fine. Occasionally I'll take a picture, when I remember to. Occasionally I won't. Usually I won't. Um, things are happening on my computer. I hope that didn't sound weird. Yeah, I think everything's breaking on this machine. So, that's the setup. This is the AlexCast. I'm Alex. You can find me on Twitter, at the AlexCast. But it seems like Twitter might be dying. It's unfortunate, because I really like Twitter. So, if you are a person that listens to this show, and you're on Twitter and you don't follow me, uh, go ahead and do that, and we can interact, because... I used to talk to a lot of people, and now I don't, so frankly, I, I've got time in my hands, so if you ever wanted to, like, have a conversation with me, or, or just say weird shit, I'm yours, because, fuck it, no one else is talking, might as well be you. You'd be like, um, if, uh, somebody that's got a lot of, who's got a lot of Twitter followers, like if, uh, Ashton Kutcher, uh, <laughs> that's such an ancient reference, I think, I don't even know if he's still, like, a person that's of note, but I seem to remember he had, like, a very popular Twitter account in, in earlier Twitter days, but let's say that everybody stopped talking to him for a few hours. Your your, your tweets have better chances of, of reaching Mr. Kutcher. That's like me, except with, like, I've got like 3,000 followers, maybe, and, and, and every day I lose more. Uh, but I used to have a bunch of people, and then I could somehow ignore some of them, but I can't anymore. Because they're all gone. So what I'm saying is, you pathetic, lonely people that are too afraid to talk to me because you think I won't respond back, I will! You pathetic pieces of shit, I will! So just go ahead. I think I'm starting to understand why people uh, do not want to interact with me. On Oh, the fun. Twitter. I don't know where it's going with that. I don't know at all. Oh, uh, well, I, mean, I do know this. So I have... Uh, I'm going to explain right now because now I'm starting to realize... Maybe I'm not starting to realize. I'm going to explain this in a second. I was about to say, I'm starting to realize that while uh, high on marijuana, I lose my train of thought and babble a bit. As I was saying that, I realized, no, I'm pretty sure that's what I do every time I have a solo show, especially in the beginning when I don't have a full topic yet. So, that's what's happening right now. I see, I'm not at 15 minutes yet, so I feel like this doesn't have to be that good. I said about 15 minutes, I get start to get my eye in, and then at the end it's going to be good, so... I feel like right now, I'm not, yeah, I'm not exactly on the hook, quite yet. I guess we'll start a topic. Hear that? I have topics planned. California cheeseburger. If you don't know that clip, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. That's from The Simpsons. Well, I mean, I hope you know that. Uh, and I don't know what season it was, but anyway. It's, uh, they're at the Museum of Crime, and, you know, they're high, so she makes a California cheeseburger, which is a baby, like a full baby with, like, a pacifier in its mouth on a giant hoagie roll, and she's got her mouth open, like, she's just gonna bite this baby. It's, uh, what I like to call a humorous visual. I don't like to call it that. I mean, I call it that because that's an accurate description of the thing I'm looking at. It's like some kind of adjectival phrase. Adjectival. Word of the day. 
I have two things planned to talk about. One of which is the story going around the internet of the um, alien megastructure Dyson Sphere thing that was announced recently that they found. Not that they found that there's evidence of, etc. The other is our friend Stephanie requested that I put together a reading list for the show. So as to, um, I don't remember what the reasoning behind it was, because honestly, she wrote the email a while ago, and I started to think about it, and I'm pretty sure I never even wrote back. But I did ask on Facebook about reading material, so it's very possible she knows. But anyway, uh, I don't remember why she asked. I think it was just uh, books that influenced us or whatever. And given me, uh, I didn't do the project that well. What I did was just write down books I like. And not ones that have... Okay, so this is what I'm going to talk about first. Good. We've decided. Thank you, Stephanie. So I think the I think the concept is... You know, let me just bring up the fucking email. Sorry. I'm going to read the email to you. Not the whole email, because there's... Frankly, there's some dirty stuff in there that you don't want to hear. Especially not from a dude's voice, you know. That's a complete joke. She's, she's 100% uh, down the line. Friendly talk via email. Um, I just was trying to vamp for time while my email loaded up. So I decided to uh, uh, impugn her, her her dignity and majesty as a woman because I needed something to say. And I guess I'm a misogynist. Sorry. And then there's I'm really going back on that is because I realized I'm pretty sure she's a married lady and she seems pretty hip. So like I'm assuming her husband is aware of how humor works. But I, did, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't know this person very well. I really shouldn't be saying horrible things about them. Uh, you know, so I'm not. Well, that certainly was a sentence I said. No, that's not it. She wrote me a couple of times, so here we go. Um, uh, okay, so she said, uh, she did a reading list in response to Tim Banal's, Banal, sorry, not Banal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, uh, it's a paranormal radio host guy, I used to listen to him years ago, I think, maybe I talked about it on the show, it might even be far enough back that I was still doing the, still doing the blog, anyway, good show, nice guy. So she says, uh, she's doing a list basically of some books which look deeper at the structural connections between UFOs and various other paranormal phenomenon. Books which go beyond UFOs are Little Green Men or Hybrids Infiltrating Us, uh, a.k.a. David Jacobs. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, uh, I'd be interested in your version of reading list for people who are interested in going beneath the surface. Um, uh, which, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, I blah, 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 a little bit too much because, frankly, I'm a blah, 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 son of a bitch. So, she said, reading lists to help people get beyond below the surface and things and, and such. You can tell that I'm not very good at paying attention because I'm closing tabs. There it is. I found my reading list. So what I did instead of uh, listen to the listeners and actually do what they requested is I did a reading list of the stuff that affected me more so as a... Oh, this is going to be the douchiest thing I'm ever going to say ever. So hold, hold on to your caps. List that affected me more as a personality than uh, as a something else. 
I actually was going to say, as a personality, it's so gross. Because, uh, you know, I'm a radio personality. <laughs> Not just some idiot in his fucking shitty basement apartment talking to a microphone because no one else will hang out with him. Oh, I'm so lonely. It's a long pause. I wonder if we're going to leave this <laughs> final recording. Uh, so... What I did was I compiled a list and I realized that my list was coming up as um, want in paranormal stuff. I was like, it's weird because I know a bunch about the paranormal. I know a bunch about mysticism, about spirituality, supernatural crap, um, cultism. You name it. You've heard the fucking show before. Like, I, I've been reading tarot since I was 16, 17 years old. And I was thinking, I can't think of a single tarot book that I that was like influential. And then I was like, all right, well, how about magical books? And I can think of a magical book that was influential. And then, all right, alternate history theories. No, none of those. And so I just went through all the crap I'm interested in. And I couldn't think of a single fucking book that was like the one that was influential. And I realized that most of my esoterica, for lack of a better word, is that knowledge comes from either documentaries or, you know, kind of uh, web searches uh, before the web, um, just grabbing a bunch of books and skimming, essentially. Um, I don't like believing in things that other people believe in. Well, that's worded weird. So let's say... Let's say that you're reading a book on... Um, uh, Okay, I'm not a Christian. We all know this. So let's say I'm reading a book about uh, uh, being a Baptist. Let's say all the stuff about being a Baptist makes sense to me. I still wouldn't be comfortable being a Baptist because I, it, I don't like being, I don't like thinking in a way that everybody else does. It just makes me uncomfortable and I feel like it, it's, not that it's wrong, but I feel it, 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 it gives me a hint that what I'm thinking is wrong if a bunch of other people agree with it because for the most part, like people don't really think that much. So anytime I read of like a religious system or a magical system or whatever, I never believe in the whole thing. I just like taking bits and pieces of the, again, pretentious phrase alert, the philosophy of it, and, you know, kind of coalescing those into my own. And so there's no real books I can think of that are like, oh, that's the one. So like, there's a bunch of like, I was thinking chaos stuff. So there's like Peter Carroll. Um, his books are good, but I can't even think of one that's like, all right, yeah, you should read that. Um, then I was thinking Crowley, and I was like, well, Crowley's influential, but he's super dense and confusing, and frankly, it's, I don't really think it's particularly worth it. Um, and so the only one I can think of, uh, as far as like the kind of modern magical tradition, is Robert Anton Wilson, who's not really a modern magician. He's a, I guess, more of like a, of the sociologist bent. And there's some of his books are on my list. But anyway, so this is a long way around of saying that I can think of, like, the books to read for my view of paranormal phenomenon or, you know, just any kind of esoteric phenomenon because I don't get my views from books, which I'm not trying to intimate that, like, everybody else does that. I just, I actively try not to hold the belief that I read in a single book. I like to, you know, coalesce them, which lends, my, lends me towards, you know, not showing up to group occasions and being, you know, scared by um, descriptive phrases. It's why anytime, like back when I was like a strict vegetarian, like every single thing I ate fit into the term vegetarian. I still hated that term, 
but I used it, you know, just because it's convenient. But like, I'm like, ugh, I don't want those other vegetarians. I don't want that word applying to me. Ugh, you're making, I don't, I don't want things that other people got their all gross psyche and, you know, I, I don't want to be swimming around in that water. You know, I'm a chaos magician and there's all these other douchey chaos, chaos magicians over there. Like just, ugh, I don't want to oh, stop peeing in my pool. Like, ugh, this is gross. Or I guess maybe I'm swimming in their pee pool. This, this went weird. Anyway. So, if you want to know how to become a weirdo, occultist, strange person like myself, read absolutely everything. Uh, don't take anything seriously. Uh, never take anything uh, as truth. And I think one of the fundamental principles of my thought process is there is no truth. So, the idea that reading a single work is going to be influential, um, yeah, it might be influential, but not in like an idea form, more in a kind of stylistic form. So as I was writing my list, I realized it was coming to a few di distinct categories, and I tried to filter out some of the ones that were more based on the influential works or authors, writers, whatever, on my writing. Some of which I couldn't take out because the stuff that's influential on my writing was influential on me, uh, on my belief system in the esoteric and the etc., etc., and then some was just like, oh, I like this because of the way they write. It affected my, you know, view of writing. Like, for instance, I, um, in the original list, I have, uh, some, some J.D. Salinger, uh, nine stories in Franny and Zooey. Yes, I know I say that wrong. Which I think are really 11 of the best short stories ever written. Fucking fan goddamn tastic. There's no, no relation to any of my, like, occult or esoteric leanings in there. It just simply taught me certain things about writing and certain things about human interaction, but, so, I took a bunch of those off the list, is what I'm saying here. So, in my list of books, I also have some documentaries, and, um, well, really just one document, we'll get to it. So, starting off from the beginning, early stuff, big shout out to my brother Craig for giving me these books. Um, this is one of the earlier, or probably earliest book series I got really into. Um, the earliest books I really remember loving were, was Fear Street books by R.L. Stein, famed uh, children's scary author. When I was, you know, when I, you know, I don't know, first grade, second grade, when Scholastic Book Fair would come to come to school. So the second I was able to read those were the ones I was into, and then Scary Stories to Tell in Dark and some other various, you know, kind of young adult scary things. And uh, the first kind of, and then I think Lord of the Rings, but that may have come afterwards. But anyway. Uh, Craig got me into the series of books by Roger Zelazny called, uh, I think they called the Chronicles of Amber now, but I'm not sure that was actually the term at the time. But anyway, it's a series of five books and then another series of five books. The first five is really the one to deal with, called Nine Princes of Amber is the first book. And then Lord of Light is another thing that's also written by him, but it's not in that series. And that's the first series I really got into, and it, there, it deals with a lot of, um, a lot of concepts of, kind of alternate realities and kind of perception as reality. Uh, so one of the one of the kind of forms of the magical system in Nine Princes of Amber is to do something called shadow walking, where essentially they'll walk and then change one um, stone on a road, and then they'll think, all right, well, that stone is, is a different. Around this corner, there's going to be beech trees instead of chestnuts. And then there'll be a different kind of fauna, flora. And then eventually through that, they kind of walk to other realities. Um, so, so it's, it's almost like, um, that, um, that theory where every decision made or everything made kind of, there's a branch universe for it, which I forgot the term for that right now. 
Um, that thing with the, you know, the double slit experiment, Schrodinger's cat deal, where it's one of the uh, multi-dimensional reality, whatever the hell it's called, I can't think of it, but, you know, that Schrodinger's cat is both alive and dead at a single time, well, it's like, it's actually just alive in one reality, dead in the other, and that's how both can happen, so. So Nine Princes Amber, that's their kind of magical system, so they kind of walk from one reality to the next until they create a whole new one. So I'm walking in the reality of Portland, Oregon, 2015. When I make a right turn, I'm thinking, okay, Portland, Oregon, 2015, but now there's, uh, um, you know, now there's uh, cobblestone here on this next street. There's going to be cobblestone, and then there's going to be the sun slightly different. And then by the time I'm, you know, 10 blocks down, it's completely unrecognizable. So I'm in this kind of shadow other world. And all these other worlds are emanated from one singular world, which is called Amber. That's sort of how it works. I haven't read this in a while. But anyway, um, that was influential in my later thinking. It took me a while to realize that. Another part of their system there is they have things called trumps, which is based on the tarot. And the trumps are all uh, painted cards of the princes of Amber, the, the, the court hierarchy of the, of the stories. And if you stare at the card for long enough, you can get in psychic connection to the person on the card. You can have a long conversation with one another. Um, me eventually getting into cartomancy, a.k.a. tarot. Look at me being fancy. Totally influential. So, anyway, there's that. Lord of Light is kind of fictionalized form of, I don't want to say ancient aliens, but basically it's a technology posing as gods. Really well done. Um, but I think everything I just covered in Nine Princes Amber, there's no new kind of philosophical leaning towards it. But that's kind of the nascent early form of my um there is no reality everything is perception thing um now that's another one about writing uh well writing wise uh murakami and richard brodigan i'm not going to talk about those right now because i probably talked about them about a million times uh yeah those are again Interesting and weird. Sorry, I'm just moving them down the list so I don't keep reading them. And I was like, oh, I'll move them down the list so I don't pause and try to read them. And then while I'm doing it, I'm pausing. So, way to go there, self-fulfilling prophecy. Dune. Old Frankie Herbert. If you haven't read Dune and you've only seen the movie, you don't really know a whole shitload about Dune. Dune is fan-fucking-tastic. I recommend it wholeheartedly with all of my heart. Thus wholeheartedly. How does this apply? Essentially, I don't want to be too spoilery, but um, at the heart of Dune is this concept of transcending current, transcending uh, uh, the temporal, transcending temporal ideas. So instead of there being a present, the character views what is to use just a term so we can talk about it, the present, but he sees it more as like standing in a river and watching the currents. And he can, instead of just predicting what could happen next as in a, well, you know, if I make a left turn, I go left. I make a right turn, I go right. You know, kind of normal human predictive thing. He can almost like, to draw the metaphor, I'll put his fingers in the river and watch how the ripples affect. And this is done via meditation uh, and the taking of drugs, and uh, and a whole bunch of suffering, which, if you're a long-term listener to the show, hey, Alex, that does sound familiar to you. I know. 
because for a while I took a lot of drugs and I suffered and I meditated. Though I never got to see the future and I never became the quitsat hatterack. And I never really figured out the whole fear is the mind killer thing. Being the tiny death. I don't know if there's much more to say about that. Yeah, I think Dune is one of the more foundational things. A lot of... Yeah, I'll just move on. And that's another one. Well, okay, you know what? Actually, this is this is important. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Comedy book by Mr. Douglas Adams. Comedy books. I do very much enjoy most of them. The uh, increasingly misnamed trilogy. I think there's sort of five, and then there's more after he died, and yada yada. But the first, um, definitely the first one. I feel like the first two or three were good. Uh, it's been a bit since I read them, so I don't really remember when they start getting weird. But even, I like the whole series, but the last few aren't nearly as good. But anyway, um, this is a really good thing to read because it's taking the piss out of a lot of belief structures. And I think that's very important when we deal with esoterica, occult systems, any kind of alternative fringe belief. And uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy really takes the piss out of, um, I'm saying take the piss out of it because it's English, and for some reason I'm going to start using English phrases because I'm a fucking babbling monkey and just repeat things that are put in front of me. Ooh, shiny banana. So they take the piss out of, there's organized religion, the concept of aliens, the concept of, you know, really death, the, the pointlessness of life. It's, it really is a, a really good kind of I don't want to say like science-based diatribe against kind of rigid thought patterns. Very well done. Wholeheartedly recommend it. Again, wholeheartedly, because I like to say the same things. So, he tried to do the galaxy, but that leads me to another point here that I actually wrote down. Um, this is about documentaries, because I learned a lot about what I know from documentaries and really just uh, audio lectures and, uh, and other things. So, but my note was, Watch a nutty documentary, and then watch one from a traditional source. Like, so, watch a... The pyramids were a power plant that was made by pouring in some kind of acidic compound followed by a base compound, which caused a uh, magnetic something, and then shot uh, energy out, which they used to uh, power light bulbs that they had in ancient Egypt. These are all, these are, if you're listening, you're like, I was, what the fuck are you talking about? You got way too high. No, everything I just said there is components of actual um, biblical and heavy quotes here, theory. So you watch those, then watch one from a traditional source, like BBC or something like that, or just do a little research. Basically, I'm saying, you know, compare your facts. So let's go with the light bulb thing. I'm sure you've seen. There's a... Egyptian hieroglyph looks like a light bulb. Looks a lot like a fucking light bulb. And then uh, they're like, look at this. This looks like a light bulb. Obviously, they had light bulbs. Very convincing. Until you look up what that is. And that's the spirit of Nuit. The, uh, it's, uh, it's the spirit of the, it's how the universe was created. It's a well-known story. It's in a bunch of hieroglyphs. It's in a bunch of written other documents, like the what happens in the Duat. Maybe it's in there. I don't know. But the point is, it's not a fucking light bulb. It's there. Compare the two. Now... Um, uh, there's, there's, you know, going the other way, if you watch, like, let's say, uh, one of those, like, Graham Hancock things where, like, you know, hey, we're a lot older than we thought we were, etc., etc., uh, and then you watch the traditional story, you're like, hey, wait a second, this traditional story doesn't make a whole fuck load of sense, hey, I'm gonna go with that one. So, 
I just drawing the drawing the thing here is make sure to uh, grab both sides to it because what I found in the paranormal esoteric strange community as of late and it's probably always been this way but maybe I just noticed it more because I, I live in it more maybe it's more prevalent in societies that people only look at one side and then say the other's wrong maybe yeah I mean I guess that's always happened but there'll be like yeah you know the moon landings obviously if they look at this you know they want us to hide it's like Okay, yes, I see that, but have you, you know, read the actual, you know, transcripts? Have you, you know, looked into the actual moon landing? No, it's obviously fake. But, in order for you to know it's... In order for you to disprove something, you should know about the thing you're trying to disprove instead of just looking at the quote-unquote evidence. Like, for the moon landing, this is one that I find kind of annoying, is uh, Bill Nye said a really funny thing. He said, if they're going to fake the moon landing, they would never bother to fake all the paperwork, because there's millions of sheets of paper uh, from the moon landings. I mean, everything. And there's 400,000 people that were involved. So, blah, blah. Sorry, I'm not going on a moon landing thing. But if most people only look at the one side. So it's the same thing with, like, the whole uh, science materialist versus religious or spiritual debate where the science people are like, no, oh, science is this. <laughs> science. It's like, well, can you look at the other side? No, because science is this and it can't. Well, you're just being a closed-minded ass. And... Going the other way, it's if you're like, well, no, you know, you have to open your chakras up to the light of the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, you ever, you ever thought that, like, you know, yoga just gets you into better shape and your body works more efficiently? No, it's well known that your chakras are open up. And if you're aware of lavender, it's like, so you never really looked at, like, how, like, science or medicine or, you know, any kind of aerobic activity work. Yeah, you never did. Okay, so you don't, so we're just going to go with one side, huh? Not even look at the other. Yeah. So, Yes. Watch documentaries, both sides of things. Very important. I know that's not a book, but it's part of my book reading list in that I won't, I don't want to tell you to read a book if you're just going to believe that book, because that goes against the whole principle. Unless it's Periphery by Alex Bolin, available on Amazon.com. That's Periphery, P-E-R-I-P-H-E-R-Y, or you just find the link Periphery under books on AlexS.com. Alex, did you just lisp? Why'd you say books? <laughs> it's funny you mention it. I've written two. It's also a collection of short stories and poetry called The Void Sutras. Like sutras from the void. Wow, that does sound good. Yeah, you should probably read it. Um, those are good books. If you have read them, leave reviews on Amazon like our friend Steph did. So, both sides of the situation. And I think that is very important. So, when I recommend books, I can't recommend a book because I don't want you to fucking believe them and go, Oh man, Alex, you, you, oh, you opened my mind. Because, you know... That book you told me to read, now I believe that. And it's like, ugh, I just ruined like somebody that had the possibility of actually putting thoughts together. Cosmic Trigger by Robert Anton Wilson. Volumes 1, 2, and 3. They are fantastic. These are collections of non-fiction vignettes from Mr. Wilson uh, describing his uh, journeys into various meditative and drug base states, his thoughts on things, um, his thoughts on magical theory a little bit, his thoughts on reality, and uh, some just personal anecdotes. Uh, I think I've said on the show before, but this is a long time ago. Uh, I think it's Cosmic Trigger 2. He talks about his daughter dying, uh, getting killed, and it is just heartbreaking. And the, the, the just open wound nature of it, just how unfettered he is with, with showing his pains really, really fucking brilliant. So, um, yeah, Cosmic Trigger 1 through 3, Robert Anton Wilson. Robert Anton Wilson, I think, is... He's... I think he's he thinks the way 
I would like other people to think, which is probably the worst worded thing I've ever said. I just don't know how to put this. Um, he has an open mind in the way that I would like other people to have open minds. It seems like he's this... There's a bit of scientist in him while also being a complete fucking weirdo that saw a cactus god dancing around when he was on peyote. Um, there, to go on a little bit more of a normal bent, like uh, Stephen Jay Gould feels like the more science side of this, where it's, you know, when you you can still see like the, that dance of like kind of mystery and, and kind of childlike wonder in their eyes of a scientist, like Stephen Jay Gould or something along those lines. Uh, Robert Anton Wilson is the other side where it's like kind of the weirdo side, but also has a bit of a science thing to him. The only thing I will fault him for, and I do want to be a little clear here, is Robert Ernstein Wilson, like like any good uh, uh, Irishman, and yes, I'm about to insult an entire group of people, so buckle in, kiddos. He does not, I don't want to say possess the ability, but he does not respect brevity. Um, efficiency is not something that man is going to do. So his his fiction, I think, is pretty not good. It needs an editor some fierce. Holy fuck does he go on and on. And I say it's because he talks about he, he loves Joyce and I have the same problem with Joyce where as far as Joyce being a major force in literature breaking down the the system and the structures of previous writing forms. Fuck yeah dude. Awesome. Is it fun to read? No. It's not good. It is just some prattling ass at a bar that just will not get to the fucking point. And um, Robert Anton Wilson does not go that far in his nonfiction, in his fiction. Oh boy. But sometimes he's a little apt to uh, uh, run a little long. And that, to me, is irksome. Not while I'm doing the show, though. It's fine while I'm doing the show because I have to fill a fucking hour by myself. And I was talking to someone, well, texting, texting with someone before this starts. Talking to yourself for an hour, it's fucking hard, alright? So if you're annoyed at the quality of this show ever, remember, it's just me in a goddamn room. I don't, I'm, I have a can of Zevia zero calorie soda, no sugar, no artificial sweeteners, non-GMO. I've had this in my hand for like 10 seconds. I have to try to find a natural pause in which to drink this, because not like somebody else is going to fucking talk while I'm drinking. Pardon me. You never would have noticed I did, took that drink unless I pointed it out. Robert Anton Wilson. <laughs> this is actually going worse than I thought it was going to. I'm going to um, try to hurry this up a little bit. Um, I also wrote myths, myths, myths. I think very important to understand any of the current, and I, and I mean this, modern day UFO, Sasquatch, alternate reality, ancient, different forms of ancient history, anything that's involved in the Fortean, esoteric, um, occult communities. Read myths. Read Greek myths, Roman myths, Norse myths, Japanese myths, Indian myths, other myths. I, I'm sorry I started naming places, but you'll start to find parallels everywhere. And the conspiratorial mind, I think, jumps a little too quickly when they see a parallel going, they're obviously related. 
there's pyramids in South America and there's pyramids in Egypt, therefore they must have known each other somehow. Instead of put a child in sand and water that's never seen a fucking pyramid before and will make one. You know why? Because it's a really stable shape. You make water, you make water, you make mud, and then just kind of drop it out of your hand. It makes kind of a pyramid shape. You're like, oh, wow, look at that. I can make that out of, out of stone. It's not that big of a, you know, it's not that, like, magical. Like, no way anybody could have ever came up with a pyramid independent of each other. So, um, reading myths, I think, uh, reinforces that. That some of them, obviously, have a common core, because, you know, we are all human. But there's also just kind of tropes that ap appeal to us, naturally. I was going to add Joseph Campbell to the list of, uh, you know what, I'm going to say this. Read Joseph Campbell. Um, I find him a little boring. But it's mostly because I've been introduced to all of his topics through other stuff later. And so reading the original is like a little slow, a little boring. But uh, Joseph Campbell, um, The Hero of Many Faces, I think it's called, um, is a really good one. The Hero's Journey. Uh, anyway, breaks down how myths are all interrelated and how there's only, you know, kind of there's this old thing of like, you know, there's only X number of stories to be told. And the conspiratorial, weird, ancient history, that kind of thing, I think people get a little confused that because they see a connection between something, that connection can just be the kind of almost the natural inclination of the human brain structure, which, although very mysterious, not necessarily um, proof of aliens, Atlantis, or any other thing. I also put, um, and this is that same thing I was talking about, read something weird, then uh, try watch something weird, then try to watch the kind of normal version. I just put down Buddhism slash quantum theory. So um, Buddhism probably got me into the weird thinking more than anything else. Uh, I found that really early on, and I was like hooked on this whole um, attachment being the root of suffering thing. I'm not going to get into that right now because, well, you know, it's been like, you know, a couple thousand years of it, and I just don't have the ability to break it down to y'all right now in the minutes we have remaining uh i say quantum theory not quantum theory but like lay science like um stephen hawking uh like i think it was brian green i think his name is um the uh bichio kaku who i don't like but he i mean his ideas are good um who's who's that black dude everybody likes neil degrasse tyson he's fun to listen to um so uh, this is again one of those things where if you're going to be anti not anti-science is a bullshit way to put it but like when you're like oh well science is a tool of the illuminati conspiracy or whatever it's it, i think it helps to know about science a little bit because i think a lot of especially cutting edge you know quantum theory is is as weird as some of the shit we read about and i don't think it takes no i was gonna say it doesn't take too much of a step to kind of interrelate the two but a lot of people do that poorly like a lot of people confuse micro with macro I'm not getting into Again, I'm not getting into that. Anyway, reading about modern science or reading about any science, I think really helps the foundation of knowing your conspiracy theory, knowing your esoterica. Because um, I was talking to this with uh, with um, Greg from Higher Side Chats when he was on the show, that I'm not, like, the really crazy conspiracy theories are fine. And... But it's the ones in the middle that sound almost plausible, but are obviously bullshit if you take a look at them. I think those kind of poison the well. That it's harder for us. I think it's almost like disinformation agents, you know, to use the conspiratorial term. Like, I think that Flat Earth guy might be a conspirator, you know, might be an agent for the uh, disinformation agents. Because 
it's just so dumb that um i think knowing some having some basic scientific founding uh, foundations will help you to sift out the more idiotic uh theories from the ones that, that frankly hold water like i i tend to be i sound like a fucking skeptic on the show a lot because there's a lot of really dumb theories out there, but there's a lot of stuff that's really, really interesting. It's just hard to find because it's it's stuck in this mire of of just shit science and and just nonsense ideas. You know, people that think, oh well, um, I have an idea, therefore it's a full theory. No, yeah, that's that's not how theory works in a scientific. You know, if you're saying well, scientifically it means this. Well, that's not theory. You've got like at best maybe a vague hypothesis. No, you have an idea. It's just ugh. So the point is, catch up on some science. It would help you a lot, and not not, not even like help you disprove stuff. I just I think it'll help you focus your powers on things that would uh, be more fruitful. Like, um, let me try to think of an example. Like, well, there's a bunch of nine eleven nonsense, but I don't even like talking about that. But like, um. Oh, give me a moment. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, okay. So, like, um, moon landing stuff where, like, oh, well, look, the flag's waving. Well, then if you look at, like, the how uh, fabrics and et cetera would react in a, in a void, which essentially is space, is a vacuum, uh, that's exactly how you'd expect the flag to wave. Because uh, uh, it's not from wind. It just kind of, I'm not, I'm not going to explain it to you. But people with like a little bit of science background could read the explanation and go, oh shit, yeah, of course, that's what it is. Makes sense. But if you don't, it sounds like, oh, let's just establish and give you an excuse. Except, except, well, it's not because that same bit of physics applies every fucking where else. So it's, unless the establishment is powerful enough to change physics, um, which if they could, they totally land on the moon like super easy. So there'd be no reason to. Um, then uh, the physics holds. And there's no reason to find that particular bit of evidence valid. Now there's some weird photographic fuckery, which I've, mentioned that I'm like, oh, it's kind of convincing. That looks a little bullshit. You can focus more on that because at least that's got, there's no immediate, like, uh, snap your fingers, like, oh, this, this has been debunked thing. So somehow that's my explanation for Buddhism. Uh, Foucault's Pendulum by Umberto Eco. Fan-fucking-tastic book. The thing that introduced me to so many different forms of conspiracy theory when I was a kid. I love this thing, and it is boring as fuck. It is way too long. It's not very well written. I mean, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, it would be way too hard to explain, but it's essentially it's kind of a Robert Anton Wilson Illuminatus thing. Where, but basically, it's every like they just start inventing all these bullshit conspiracy theories, making them up as they go. And the the point is, they're doing this purposefully to sell books, and it almost it sort of comes true, but doesn't. And it's you know this. Really, it's really a layered, very interesting book. But um, being the the childish mind when I read, it, I mean, I was probably in like middle school at the time. I just went, "Ooh, I've never heard of half of these uh, secret societies and shit." So that actually probably very much against its, incl its inclination for writing the book. I got me into uh, conspiracy theory. Um, uh, Magical Egypt is a documentary series. It is free on YouTube. I would recommend giving him money if you like it. Magical Egypt. John Anthony West might be called Mystical Egypt. No, it's Magical Egypt. Who cares? John Anthony West. Seven part, I think, series now or per. It's fan-fucking-tastic. I'm saying fantastic too much. Whole wholeheartedly, I'm saying fantastic too much, taking the piss out of myself. Um, goes through and talks about... It's basically a symbolist view of Egypt using... Um, well, 
a symbolist interpretation that their hieroglyphs in their buildings are all uh, kind of, there's another level of symbolism there. Just watch it. It's, it would be too hard for me to explain. Um, I mean, I probably could explain it better, but um, I'm not gonna, because I can't think of a way to do that, because I wasn't really prepped for this point. I just scratched it down in the end of the list, because that's the end of the list. Enjoy. So those that's my book list, other than the ones that helped me learn how to write a little bit better. Um, well, those without explanation. Uh, Nine Stories, Franny and Zoe, uh, uh, Haruki Murakami, uh, Richard Brodigan, uh, especially in Watermelon Sugar, and I think it's called The Abortion, the one where they're in that weird library that everybody writes their own books. Um, the first few Neil Gaiman books are fantastic, especially American Gods. like that very much. Um, uh, Hemingway slash Bukowski. Um, I can't watch Bukowski anymore because unfortunately I, watch it, I can't read Bukowski anymore because I watched a documentary about him, and he was just a petulant ass. I've mentioned on the show, he's just a child bullshit guy. But back when I liked him and Hemingway, it's like, um, I'm naturally kind of anti-male and Hemingway and Bukowski kind of were the ones that were like, oh, you know, you can actually be like a smelly, jerk-off, violent male type, but still write beautifully. I think that's an important lesson to learn. And then uh, Baudelaire, Le Fleur de Mont, uh, The Flowers of Evil. Um, I'm sure it does, it's not, I'm sure it's not as cheesy as that because it's from the 1800s. Um, that's the one that kind of, that was uh, dark can be beautiful without being cheesy. So you can, um, you can enjoy the dark, uh, but you don't have to shop at Hot Topic. Um, that's probably a reference for people my age. I don't even know if a Hot Topic still exists. Who knows? And the point is, that is my list. Thank you very much for listening to that. Moving on to the other thing I've prepared for you, and this is going to be uh, a, um, not a quick one. Um, it is a thing about that ancient uh, giant megastructure by aliens that was built by the standard. Facebook.com slash the standard PDX. That is the bar that I like. I like this bar for many, many reasons. One of the reasons is they sponsor my show. They give me money every month to say this. Well, I don't know how much the quality control is on the commercials, because I feel like if he heard any of these, the guy that owns the bar, he might actually want to sit me down and try to get like a little bit more bang for his buck instead of just hearing me ramble and then say that hams is a dollar on Wednesdays and microbrews are three dollars on Sundays. There are other specials. In fact, there's a week of them, but I don't know them and they're changing soon. So fuck off. Moving on. You can go there by 14 Northeast 22nd in Portland, Oregon. That's where I live. If you want to go there and have a beer with me, just tell me. You can find me uh, on Twitter at the AlexCast or alexcast at gmail.com. Always spell Alex with two X's. But the standard is a wonderful bar. Uh, it has happy hour every day. It's got a pool table. It's got a, a shitload of really good, well-maintained pinball machines. There is a shuffleboard table. There is a lovely patio with, like, heating elements outside and a, uh, like, like a roof-type structure, like a barn roof, I think it was referred to as where you can smoke cigarettes and be warm and out of the rain while still smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. How good is that? There's also food. There's everything. It's the standard. Facebook.com slash thestandardpdx. Um, I am done with that one. Yeah, good. So, that's the standard. My name is Alex. Things, uh, oh, by the time you hear this, that being tonight or tomorrow, 
there will be available, and I'll post it on uh, my Facebook, facebook.com slash alexcast, I think. Maybe it's the alexcast, whatever. It's at the alexcast on Twitter. I'll post it there. I will make a uh, post on the website, alexcast.com. There will be alexcast t-shirts available when you hear the sentence. Unless I fucked it up again, but I'm pretty sure I've got it now. The logo is centered. It's high enough that if, if a boob other person wears the shirt, it will not be just at the bottom of boobs. Because that is the problem with the first design I had was apparently it was too low on the chest because uh, I was not thinking of uh, tits for once. So it'll be available on Amazon.com. Uh, so search for AlexCast or just find the link directly on AlexCast.com at the AlexCast on Twitter. I will post it everywhere because, well, quite frankly, I've been asked for shirts a bunch of times and I made them. So I I don't know how many I'm expecting to sell, but uh, it better be more than like four because this took, like, a significant amount of work, and, you know, I just, I keep doing stuff for you guys, and I just, I just want you to care and buy shirts. That's all I care about. Uh, there's also AlexCast stickers, if you want one. Um, that, you just have to email me and say, hey, I want some stickers, and give me your address, and I'll send them to you. Because, that's the kind of guy I am. Mostly because I don't really feel like taking money for stickers. I mean, if you want to, you can send me PayPal money at the AlexCast, but I'll just send them to you for free. Just... I'm nice like that. So anyway, Outcast uh, t-shirts. Enjoy them. Not enjoy them. Whatever. It's on Amazon. There's lady sizes, men sizes, and things. It was kind of unbelievable that it was real data, said Yale University astro- astronomer Tabitha Boyajan. We were scratching our head. Tabitha. Tabitha. Here's the thing I just did right there. I was trying to look at how do you say B-O-Y-A-J-I- a-N, and I, pro- I pronounced Tabitha wrong, because I was trying to... We were scratching our heads for any idea that, that came up. There was always something that would argue against it. She was talking to New Scientist about KIC 8462852, a distant star with a very unusual flickering habit. Something was making the star dim drastically every few years, and she wasn't sure what. Boyajin wrote up a paper on possible explanations for the star's bizarre behavior, and it was published recently in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. But she also sent her data to fellow astronomer Jason Wright, a Penn State University researcher who helped develop a protocol for seeking signs of unearthly civilization, wondering what he would make of it. To Wright, it looked like the kind of star he and his colleagues had been waiting for. If none of the ordinary reasons for the star's flux seemed quite to fit, perhaps an extraordinary reason was in order. Aliens! Or to be more specific, a swarm of megastructures, as he told the Atlantic. So, here is uh, the very long art. Well, not very long, but I'm not going to read the whole fucking article for you. Essentially, so they found um, this uh, star, KIC 8462852, flickering weird. The, there's various reasons that a star would act that way, or the, the light would come to us that way. Is that it's a new star, so, uh, the, the, the shit around it hasn't coalesced into, like, a planetoid or something else, or, um, um, some other reason. I forget what the other one is. Uh, but that doesn't work because of the brightness of the star. Basically, they knock that out. And then there's, like, three other, like, completely normal, um, astronomical reasons for it. But unfortunately, all those three were also knocked out. So they have no valid theory, but one of the theories that does fit is the idea of a Dyson Sphere. If you're not familiar with that, a Dyson Sphere uh, is basically this giant uh, megastructure that surrounds a star and uh, basically uses all the energy from a star to power a civilization. 
So it's like the world's biggest uh, uh, solar uh, panel, essentially. Uh, when they made the models of what a what a Dyson sphere or Dyson sphere like object would look like from this distance or from a reasonable distance, uh, it does seem to, it, it described what they're currently seeing. Now, you may notice that nowhere in there does it say it is uh, a, a mega alien structure. What they said was there's a bunch of explanations. The only one that currently fits is the alien mega structure. That doesn't mean that that's what it is. It means they just have to figure out what the other explanations are. It is still incredibly long odds that it's an alien thing. It's just that the other ones that we know uh, have been knocked out. So it's exciting in a number of ways. One, hey, we might find a new, like, astronomical thing, like a new form of protostar or uh, other words I don't know. Uh, and then the other one is, hey, maybe we found signs of an alien civilization. Both I would find very exciting, but... This goes back to that whole look at the weird, then look at the rational. The closer you get to the actual article, uh, the, the paper that was written by this woman, the more you get, it sounds like it could fit. Maybe this is sort of a possibility, but probably not. The farther away you get from that is they found an alien megastructure. NASA admits that aliens exist. You know, uh, so this is that same line of thinking I was referencing earlier is you know, be aware of where the story's coming from, follow the chain, and then realize, oh, this is still very interesting, but it is not in any way, shape, or form uh, declarative statements from NASA saying that there is, in fact, alien life on some other planet or surrounding some other star. It is just an interesting thing, and not even just an interesting thing. It could be the most fantastically amazing interesting thing that's ever been interesting. It's just right now we're not at the point to actually... Uh, say that because science is slow and and methodical and that's kind of why it's good at what it does and why um, a paper coming out like a week before uh, shouldn't have headlines coming out well I mean, whatever good for the headline writers it's on the people that read it uh, to do their research and um, realize what's happening because you know they're selling papers and they're doing a good job of it or selling ad clicks gizmodo has another very wonderful um story that says the many times astronomers mistook mundane phenomenon for aliens so i'm just going to read the list real quick to you canals on mars this fun personal lull uh when looking through a telescope um found uh these canals and you know it looks like uh canals like these are man-made structures or alien-made structures and this is a really he was a super fucking legit uh astronomer the effect of pluto is somewhat named after him the p in the alan pluto is personal lull but uh, once they got better telescopes, it went, oh, yeah, now it's just natural, you know, formations. Pulsars. We didn't know what pulsars were. And then we started getting these pulsing weird radio signals, uh, uh, you know, steady intervals that are showing up. And like, oh, my God, this is fucking it. We found aliens. And then they're like, oh, no, uh, no, it's pulsars. We figured out what a pulsar is. Um, shrug. That, uh, that sucks. Or, I mean, not sucks. Hey, we discovered something amazing, which might happen this time. Um, well, they have the wow signal on this list, but... Um, I don't think that one's been disproven yet. Uh, that's stupid. Uh, that's okay. Well, <clears throat> those first two were interesting to me. I will post that link also at alexcast.com. Uh, every episode has a write-up and tell what I was talking about most of the time, unless I just didn't feel like <clears throat> doing the write-up and then it just says Alex talks about blah, blah, blah. Doesn't mean it's a bad episode. It just means I got lazy. Yeah, that's it. This was an episode. I talked to you. Glad to say hello. 
glad to see you out there. Remember, uh, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for interaction with you at the AlexCast on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, AlexCast, uh, you can find... Uh, I got a YouTube thing. I got uh, Instagram. Um, like, everything. Like, all the stuff you want uh, of, like, social media or, like, regular... You know, I, I got it. I've written books. Uh, uh, I... I could make an album of songs if you want. I mean, I can't play any instruments and I can't sing very well, but I could, you know, I could figure something out. Maybe, uh, do like a, like a theremin. Like, as I'm doing the show, I'll gesticulate a lot. It could be like the theremin of the Alex cast. Oh, that was when he was talking about that dick joke. Oh, look, that was that other dick joke. Because I'm very immature. I'm sorry. So, I've been Alex. You have been the audience. Here is the closing reading. This is Why in Watermelon Sugar is Amazing. In Watermelon Sugar, the deeds were done, and done again, as my life is done, in Watermelon Sugar. I'll tell you about it, because I am here, and you are distant. Wherever you are, we must do the best we can. It is so far to travel, and we have nothing here to travel, except Watermelon Sugar. I hope this works out. I live in a shack near Eyedeath. I can see Eyedeath out the window. It is beautiful. I can also see it with my eyes closed and touch it. Right now it is cold and turns like something in the hand of a child. I do not know what that thing could be. There is a delicate balance in Eyedeath. It suits us. The shack is small but pleasing and comfortable as my life and made from pine, watermelon sugar, and stones as just about everything here is. Our lives we have carefully constructed from watermelon sugar, and then traveled to the length of our dreams along roads lined with pines and stones. I have a bed, a chair, a table, and a large chest that I keep my things in. I have a lantern that burns watermelon trout oil at night. That is something else. I'll tell you about it later. I have a gentle life. I go to the window and look out again. The sun is shining at the long edge of a cloud. It is Tuesday, and the sun is golden. I can see piney woods and the rivers that flow from those piney woods. The rivers are cold and clean, and there are trout in the rivers. Some of the rivers are only a few inches wide. I know a river that is half an inch wide. I know it because I measured it and sat beside it for a whole day. It started raining in the middle of the afternoon. We call everything a river here. We're that kind of people. I can see fields of watermelons and the rivers that flow through them. There are many bridges in the piney woods and in the fields of watermelons. There is a bridge in front of this shack. Some of the bridges are made of wood, old and stained silver like rain, and some of the bridges are made of stone gathered from a great distance and built in the order of that distance, and some of the bridges are made of watermelon sugar. I like those bridges best. We make a great many things out of watermelon sugar here. I'll tell you about it, including this book being written near Ida. All this will be gone into, traveled, in watermelon sugar.